In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the fifth Sunday of Baba, but because today is the 29th of the Coptic month, the rites of this, this Sunday are a little different, because on this day the church celebrates three major feasts. We celebrate the Feast of Annunciation, the Feast of Nativity, and the Feast of Resurrection. And the reason for this is because the Feast of Annunciation actually falls on the 29th of Baramhat. So the Feast of Annunciation is on the 29th. The Feast of Christmas is on the... We just started. 29th of Kiyah. And the resurrection, actual day of resurrection, was actually the 29th of Baramhat in the year of his passion. You know Easter moves around every year, but it was actually on the 29th of Baramhat in the year of his passion. Therefore, the church designated the 29th of every Coptic month, except a few, to commemorate these feasts. And there's a few months in the calendar year when we don't celebrate this feast, and it's because they fall outside the period of the Annunciation and the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's outside the period of conception. And actually, I'm not trying to make a political statement, but it goes to show you that conception is holy. Conception is holy. And the church is celebrating the conception of the, the Saint Mary every month. Like we're celebrating the, the conception and the Lord Jesus Christ in the womb of Saint Mary every month. Today the gospel is from Luke chapter 1 and it's about the Annunciation. The icon of the Annunciation is this first one here. The icon of the Annunciation of when Archangel Gabriel came and delivered to her the good news about the coming of the Savior. And one thing that I wanted to meditate with you on today is how can we be like Saint Mary and accept this great call that uh, she was given? How can we accept the call that God gives to us? One thing that became very evident in the reading of the of the, the Pauline and the Catholic uh, epistles of today is that all of them spoke about mankind as sinners, our need for a savior, a need for a savior. So the important step to answer the call of God is to realize that we are sinners. Because the purpose of the Annunciation, the purpose of Nativity, the purpose of Resurrection, the purpose of the Incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ was to save mankind. That's why we call Him the Savior. Mankind needed a Savior because all mankind had fallen in sin. Mankind had all fallen in sin and death was rampant and all of us, we, we, we had come under the consequence of sin. And that's why in the Pauline epistle today it says, there is none righteous, zero, none righteous, no, not one. No, not one. You say, Abuna, how about all the righteous people in the, in the Old Testament? One of the church fathers, he says that if you were building a house, if you were building a house and everyone brought, I mean, one person brings the tiles, another person brings the cabinets, and another person brings the, the light fixtures. Each person brought good things to the house, but they didn't finish the house. And one of the, the, the scholar origin, he says, so I think here the apostle is saying that no one has done good in the sense that no one has brought goodness to perfection and completion. 
If we are, ask ourselves who is truly good and who has done perfectly good, we shall find only Him who said, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. The idea is that all had fallen, all were in need of a Savior. That's why in First John chapter 1 in the Catholic epistle of today, it says, if we say we have no sin, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, and then another similar passage in the Pauline, it says, And we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. The whole world was guilty before God, before the coming of the, of the Lord our Savior. How, why were we guilty? Because all of us were guilty of breaking and falling into sin. We were all living under the consequence of sin. So the first step to answer the call is we have to admit we are sinners. We have to admit we are sinners. Do not live in denial. I heard of a, a beautiful story that I want to share with you. It says, a teacher asked a little boy as to why he was late to school. The teacher asks the little boy why he was late to school. He replies that his mother served the breakfast late. When his mother was asked, she replied that the milkman delivered the milk late. The milkman said that the cow didn't give him milk on time. But the cow blamed the owner and said that he gave the grass late. So everyone is starting to... To, to blame the other. And unfortunately, this is Nani, the story of our lives. Kulena, we have this, this, uh, this habit of, oh, the milkman is late. Oh, the cow didn't get fed. And then we can keep going. We're living in denial. And living in denial is trying to cover our weakness. Trying to cover our weakness. To justify our weaknesses. Psychologically, living in denial means to hold on to our own perception of reality when in fact we deny the truth. And many people these days are, are living in denial. We all have this tendency. Remember when God confronted Adam about eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil? His first reply was denial. Denial. And he blamed someone else. He says, the woman that you gave me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. So Adam, you had no part in this? No, it's the milkman. The, the milk was late and the cow. And, and then he starts going on. The, the woman that you gave me, she's the one that made me eat. This is denial. The same type of denial was evident in the life of, of Aaron. <laughs> When Moses confronted him about the golden calf, he says, although the scripture is very clear at the beginning of that passage in Exodus 32, it says that when Aaron received the gold from their hands, he fashioned it with the engraving tool and made a molten calf. So who made the molten calf? Who made it? Aaron made it. But then when Moses confronted him about the making of the golden calf, you know what Aaron said? The milkman did it. The milkman did it. He says, you know the people, they are set on evil. 
For they said to me, make gods that we shall go before us. And I said to them, whoever, whoever has any gold, let it break it off. So they gave it to me. So I got all the gold. And I cast it into the fire. And this calf came out. Just came out, like magic. This is the denial. What denial? He put the blame on other people. He put the blame on the furnace. We put the blame on the milkman. We put the blame on our parents. We put the blame on anyone. This is living a life of denial. Instead of living a life of denial, we must confess our sins. We must confess our sins. Solomon, in his wisdom, in the Proverbs, he says something very nice. He says, he who covers his sin, he who covers his sin, will not prosper. But he whoever confesses and forsakes them, will have mercy. And this was what was written in the Catholic epistle today. It says, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The important thing that I want us to remember is that confession leads to cleansing. Confession leads to cleansing, leads to absolution, leads to a fresh new start. And I think both the Catholic and the Pauline epistle today, there's, some, there's a very important word that illustrates this concept, and everyone always mispronounces it. It's called propitiation. Propitiation. Everyone, whenever it's read, is always lobata. Propitiation. Propitiation. Yeah, propitiation is this idea, this word means to offering and appease or satisfy the offended party. It means to make atonement. To make atonement. I was thinking about when Jacob wanted to make an offering for Esau for offending him. You remember, and he sent the caravans of gifts ahead of This was a propitiation to appease Esau, to make him, to win his favor. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the purpose of sacrifice was called propitiation. And there was one special day, like all the types of sacrifice were a type of propitiation. And there was one day in particular called the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement, maybe you've heard of it by another name. Like those kids have it in their holiday, Yom Kippur. This is called the Day of Atonement. And in the in the Day of Atonement, there was many rites, and you can read about it in Leviticus 16 and 23. But I don't want to get into the details of the day. But what I want you to realize is that God made a process for atonement. He made a process and rites and practices that if you do these things, you will have atonement. But now in the New Testament, there is a new process of atonement. There is a new process of atonement. And St. Paul, he speaks about it in, in the Pauline epistle. He says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth as... Propitiation. Propitiation. Propitiation for... Forth as propitiation by his blood. And in the, uh, the Catholic epistle, it says, if anyone sins, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation of our sins, and not only of ours, but for the whole world. 
St. John Chrysostom, he says that in the Old Testament they had propitiation, if they had propitiation, he says, and, and if that Old Testament one had power, he says, how much more did the New Testament counterpart have? And in the New Testament, the new process of atonement, how do we receive atonement? In the New Testament, by confessing our sins and taking communion, it is through this amazing sacrifice we have access to propitiation. <laughs> the propitiation, His blood that washed away our sins. Number two, how can we accept the call of God like St. Mary? The first one was to admit that we have sinned, to confess our sins, not be in denial. The second is to deny our own will. To deny our own will. And that's why I love in this passage, it says, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be according to your word. But before I speak about denying our will, I have a special thought that I want the youth and the parents to think about very critically. Youth and parents. This is very important. I want you to think about this. How old was St. Mary when she received... The message from Archangel Gabriel to become the mother of God. How old? Old. Hmm. Come. Huh. How old? I don't hear anything, and I'm sorry. My, my ears are getting bad. How old are Teenage years. Yeah, we can call it just young, young lady, young lady, young lady. A young lady became the mother of God. A young little, young little girl. I was thinking, how many people fall into that age group in this church? Finn. And so many young ladies fall into the category. Could be like, it's amazing that God chose someone so young, so, so simple. How about, Samuel, remember, you know how old Samuel was when God spoke to him the first time? How old? How old? Samuel. Also, they say around like 11. 11. 11 years old. Who's 11? How old are you? 11 year olds. And God is speaking to 11 year olds. And God is speaking to St. Mary and making them mother of God and making an 11 year old prophet. I think some of us in our church, like we have to think the potential that we have in the church and in our youth. The potential, think about that. The potential that we have in our youth and in all of us. If a young little girl could become Saint Mary, if a young little boy could be a prophet of God, and it could look, we don't have to make any exception for each one of you. We have so much value. I think the problem we say we have and if you look at one link between Saint Sa- or Samuel the prophet and Saint Mary, what was the one, maybe one similarity in their life? Maybe more. The one big similarity that I really want parents will youth to put kidda. What's the one, maybe one big similarity? They were living in the temple, both of them. Weren't they both living in the temple? Both of them were living in the temple. If, if we need to have this concept, parents and children, live in the church. If you live in the church, God will be able to call and you will be able to accept His call. And I feel that sometimes parents, sometimes even servants, 
and I, this was my message to me, is that we give up on the youth. We say, oh, this adolescent age, that, it's too difficult. They're so hormonal. They just want to do whatever. They don't listen to anything. They want to... But actually, this age is when the... Like, St. Mary came out of this age. The prophet Samuel came out of this age. This is the age to dedicate your life to God. This is the age to dedicate your life to God. And that's why I want to address one of the biggest complaints that many people give young, old about this is that sometimes we say, I'm too young or I'm too, I don't want to dedicate my life to God now. And one of the biggest complaints in like Christians make oftentimes or people outside the church is they say that Christianity is too demanding. It's too difficult. I don't want to live this way. If you talk to a youth, if you talk to husbands, if you talk to women, if you talk to all people, sometimes Christianity has a, like a, a, a image that it's like a straight jacket. You know what a straight jacket is? It's like it's cuts off your like potential to breathe. You can't breathe. It's like choking. It limits our freedom. Even one social activist, he said, Christianity is sometimes viewed as a, a, a straitjacket because it breaks one's will. It's an iron net. It does not let us expand or grow. This is what yani, people Barra church, they say about Christianity. In other words, the social activist is saying, I want to live my life this way or that way. And Christianity tells me this is wrong. So it feels like Christianity is choking me. And preventing me from living a life that I want to live to the fullest. It seems like Christianity is limiting my, my personal growth and my potential. And actually such sentiment, this idea is actually opposite to what St. Mary said. The opposite, the exact opposite. St. Mary says, I want your will to be done. Behold the maidservant of the Lord. And I think the big difference here is in an interpretation and thinking of about what is freedom. I want everyone to, to understand this. Sometimes we view freedom as the absence of confinement or restraint. The absence of confinement or restraint. So when a parent tells their child, you have to be home by this time, and you don't come by this time, it's like you put a chokehold on, on a child. You're constraining them. You say you have to be by this time. Or if the church tells you, you cannot eat a certain food for certain times of the period of the year, this is also putting a, like a constraint on what we eat. And we don't like this. It's a violation of our freedom. And while this is true in some sense, this definition of freedom does not realize that sometimes confinement or constraint is actually a means of liberation. Constraint can be an opportunity for liberation. Take for example a fish. A fish is restricted or constrained to live in water. And if I take the fish out and I put it and I freed the fish from the water and I freed him and said go on the land, guess what would happen to the fish? It would die. It would die. So the constriction or the restraint or the limitation of that a fish must live in water is not actually a constraint. It is actually, it is actually preserving the life of the fish. I'm actually honoring the reality of its nature. And similarly, the constraints 
which the Bible teaches us, the constraints that the Bible teaches us, they are preserving the life of Christians, not constraining us. They, are, they might be considered a straight jacket to the people outside, but to the Christian it would become a comfortable jacket. Ooh, I like this jacket. This jacket's so comfortable. It gives me warmth. It gives me protection. I like this jacket. Let's go a little deeper. One author, he wrote about this, Tim Keller, he says, In life, freedom is not so much the absence of restriction as finding the right ones. Finding the right ones. The liberating restrictions. Those that fit with the reality of our nature. The world produces great power and scope for our abilities. Greater, deeper joy and fulfillment. For example, if you take an athlete, fan of athletes here. The athlete, he will put greater restrictions on himself, will he not? He'll say, I can't eat so and so and so and so and so. If I eat this way, then I will start to be, whatever, against my figure. The athlete will say, I have to wake up at so and so and so and so this time to exercise. The athlete will make so many and put many restrictions on himself. I have to wake up early for my game. I have to wake up early for practice. I have to do so many things. Put so many constraints on himself. Why? Because he will have the joy of being a better athlete. In hopes that he will become a better athlete. The same is, this restrictions actually liberate you. And actually, I want to go even deeper. Why do we put these restrictions on us? Is because these greater restrictions, they give us freedom. And part of freedom is the root of freedom. And where it goes, it goes to love. It goes to love. Because one of the principles of love... Either like love of a friend or love in like a relationship or couples they want to date or whatever. Is that you lose independence to attain greater intimacy. You lose independence to become, have greater intimacy. When two people date or they become friends, each sacrifices a part of their independence to become closer to the other. To become closer to the other. To experience the joy and freedom of love, one has to give up personal autonomy. This is just a concept of love. Not secular, like, secular or religious, it doesn't matter. If you love someone, you'll want to do Is that true or not true? Fish. St. Paul, he says, in St. Paul, he has this in mind. When he said in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, for the love of Christ compels us. If you look at the word compels us, compels, you know what compels means? Actually means, like, it has forced us, like, it has constrained us. Actually, the love of God is actually constraining me. It means that it's pressing me on every side. And so St. Paul, he says, the love of Christ constrained me. It compels us that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. You see that? That the ones that love of God, like once God has touched our hearts, we put the constraints on us because we love God. We do it for our love of God. How can we accept the call like St. Mary did? One, we need to recognize our need for our Savior. Right? We don't want to be in denial anymore. We don't want to be in denial and say the milkman and the sharfeh and 
or like Moses or Aaron or like Adam. No more. We need to confess our sins. To confess our sins. Confess our sins to partake in the blood, to receive propitiation. Propitiation for our sin. And then what we need to do is put on what the world calls a straight jacket. We put it on. But to us, that's not a straight jacket. Actually, to us, it is. It is freedom. Actually, it is the greatest thing that we could do. And we should say, like St. Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And glory be to God forever. Amen.